Welcome to Highlawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We're so glad you've decided to join us, and now we invite you to grab your Bible, if you're able, as we pray that you will be blessed by the preaching of the truth of God's Word today. Well, several weeks ago, during our Mother's Day series, I um, warned you gentlemen that your time was coming. Guess what? Today, we're taking a look at what it takes to be the men of God, what it means to be guys from the biblical perspective. And the reason that we're taking a look at that right now is that who we are as men, who we are scripturally as the, the head of the household, as the spiritual head of the household, who we are, even what it means to be a man right now is under some significant attack. Let's take a look at what the Word of God says, the truth that the Holy Spirit has revealed to us, and what before this service, we talked about the men in our lives that were not only our earthly fathers, but who were our fathers in spirit, who were the men of the church or, or were maybe good Christian men, people who were of a prime example of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, the Bible describes God's presence in our lives as our heavenly, am I in a Presbyterian church this morning? He's our heavenly Father. Okay, maybe we need some more coffee. Bring up some from downstairs. But the point is, one, we need to celebrate our faith. Two, we need to celebrate the godly men in our lives. And three, as men in other people's lives, we ourselves need to be brought up, trained up, and wholly grabbing a hold of what it means to be a man of God. And that doesn't just mean the pastor. That doesn't just mean the deacon. That doesn't just mean the Bible school teacher. That means all of us. In Jewish tradition, the, 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 the father of the household, the patrofamilia in, in Latin, the father of the household was the priest of the household. Now in Latin times, when we're going to talk about the writings of the Apostle Paul in just a second, but in the Roman Empire, at the time that he's writing, the patrofamilia, the head of the house, was a law unto himself with his family. The father of any family had the right at any time in that legal system to sell off his children as slaves, to put them and to put everyone who's a member of the household in chains and drag them out into the fields to work. And the sad thing is I see some of your eyebrows lifting and you accidentally having a furtive glance at some of your wives. So, and they're right now laughing and making and, and praising God for the fact they weren't born in ancient Rome. But they could even have the people under their care executed at will. Now when Paul is writing about this in the New Testament time, remember, if, if in the Jewish custom, if, if a husband had more than one wife for whatever reason, and the one wife wasn't getting as much money for clothing as the other, she had the right by law to drag him before the city gates and have him stoned. 
He wasn't the head of the household as a source of power. He was made the head of a household out of a deep-rooted sense of responsibility. In fact, one of the things we learn from rabbinic sources is that uh, part of the reason that the man of the house was considered to be uh, the head of the household wasn't, and the priest of the home wasn't because that he was stronger or more capable. It was because back in the book of Genesis, when it mattered the most, the man failed. So God assigned him that responsibility so that he would have to learn, he would have to study. Remember in the book of Genesis in the, uh, in the Garden of Eden, when Eve was confronted, yes, she did take eat of the fruit first, but she actually argued with the serpent. She argued with the temptation. What did the man do when he saw that the fruit was good for eating and when it was desirable? He ate. He didn't put up an argument. He didn't put up a fight. In other words, he wasn't what the Bible would call a strong Man, you have to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. That's not scripture, but that is very true. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But I want you to understand, men, that we do have a strength that we're supposed to employ, but it is a strength that is under control. When the Bible talks about mutual submission in love, what it is saying is that in the Christian household, even in the midst of it happening during the time of the Roman Empire, we have a right, we have, we don't have, it's not rights, excuse me, we have a responsibility, we have a duty, we have a, a sincere obligation to teach the children in the ways of God, to foster them in righteousness, to protect our families, to nurture them, and to provide for them. We are to be, as the Bible quoted to John, we are, uh, excuse me, as God said to Joshua, we are supposed to be strong and courageous. That when fear comes, we are strong and that we're able to handle it. That we supply to the rest of our family the peace of God, which passes all understanding. That we supply to our family the love that Jesus himself portrayed at Calvary. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Well, let's talk about that in just a second. If you would, take out your own copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Ephesians. Paul's writer to the church of Ephesus, the book of Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 25. When you get there, say amen. We begin. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, a radiant bride, a radiant without stain or wrinkle or spot or blemish or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives in their, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does for the church, for we are all members of his body. 
For this reason the man will leave his father and his mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. In other words, there is such a profound unity of love between the two that there isn't a power struggle, that there isn't a dynamic of conflict, that through their love, through their ability to handle things, through their connection with the Holy Spirit of God, they are able to sustain themselves through all life's consequences. The power dynamic that was set up in the Garden of Eden, Eve, uh, when God Himself says that you will long for your husband, He's not talking about her sexually. He's talking about that she will long to rule over Him. That there will be a power dynamic at play, but Paul is putting that on, his, on its head. Paul's also putting the Roman Empire on its head and the other way around. What he's basically saying is that through Christ your love is made perfect. Through Christ there is no, there's nothing that you have to fear that can overcome the work that He has done for you. Through Christ all things are possible. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So fathers, your part of your ministry to your family is maintaining the peace of the home, maintaining the unity of the home, maintaining the fact that you are in the eyes of your child the first image of God that they will ever see. There's a reason why God chooses the title of father. It's because as we're growing up in a household, as we're growing up in the family, before we can understand the concepts of words, there is one face that represents strength, that represents peace, that represents comfort, that represents hope that we see, aside from our mother, in whose arms when we are carried, we develop that sense of what it truly means to be able to stand and to take a stand. The first image that we get of what God means to us in His love and His provision is our dads, is our fathers. Paul is using this truth as a, as a double-edged teaching. Christ is to the church just as a husband is to his family, is to his wife. So there's a lot that we can glean from this. If each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, the wife must respect her husband. So what does this all mean? The mutual love that we have for each other means that through unity there is strength. <coughs> through our trust in God there is provision. Through our certainty of His promises, there is a hope unquenchable. So what's Paul's instructions for a godly man? First of all, you are the spiritual head of your household. You are the provider. You are the strength. You are the glue that keeps it sustained. You are to lead not by power, not by a, a kind of military as strength, but for, by leading in a Christ-like example. Being Christ to your family, just as Christ Himself is to the church at large. You are to be strong, but that strength is to be held under control, under subjugation, and is to be put to use in service. To deal with your, your wife and your children with an attitude, not of lordship, but of compassion. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, for which He gave His life. 
A life committed to strengthening faith. Again, you've got to stand. You've got to stand to understand why you believe what you believe and to take that stand. You are also the chief discipler of your own household. Please tell me, fathers, that you have time in your home with your children in a devotional setting. Where outside of the church, you are helping them to grow in a spiritual connection with their Creator. Their spiritual lives are just as important as their physical lives. Just as we try to bring them up physically strong through sports, through games, just as we try to bring them up academically strong through learning, through books, through teachers, through tutors, just as we try to benefit them financially through preparing them for whatever career path they're going to choose, we need to prepare them spiritually, ethically, morally, to be the person that God created them to be, to be the person Christ is redeeming them to become. And lastly, teach others to do likewise. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, what we do not know through the power of your Holy Spirit, the author of these words, may we be taught what we could be and yet are not now. Through your instruction, through your guidance, and through the very elements of our lives, mold us and shape us. So that in this hour, use it as we commit ourselves and it into your hands without reservation. Use it to conform us to the image of Christ that we find in the pages of your word. And it's in the name of our Savior that we pray. Amen. What you've got on your screen right now is a, the last instructions that David, king over Israel, gave to his son Solomon before his passing. The very last thing that he taught the person who would become the wisest king this world has ever seen or will ever see. I'm about to go to the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong. Act like a man. We'll talk about that in just a second. A person. A Psalms 1 definition of a man. Observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to Him. Keep His decrees and commands. And His laws and regulations is written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go. Now, I'm not going to side with the whole camp that says that we have to live as Christians the same way that the Jews lived in the Old Testament. We are by grace, not by law. But what is right is still right. What is wrong is still Wrong. There is an ethic that we need to learn and put into our lives. So what he's telling his son, who is crowned king and is co-regent in Israel at this time, he could be a law unto himself the way that the rest of the world operates. But what David the king is telling him to do is as a man, be humble. Kneel before God. Accept his provision. Accept his definition of right and wrong. Understand that there is a truth outside of your control. And stand on that truth. Be a man of God by being humble before Him. This is what David defines as a man, if you want to write this down in the flyleaf of your Bible. It's Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the pathway of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffer. 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the Torah, the teaching, God's definition of truth. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Do we pray? Do we read God's word? This congregation took upon itself the blessing of trying to read the Bible through in a year's time. Are we doing it? If you've stalled on that commitment, I challenge you to exercise a bit of grace on yourself and get back into it. Because it's truly something worth doing. We need the Word of God. Verse 3, He will be like a tree firmly planted in streams of water, meaning He will want for nothing. Drought will never hurt Him. The rains will not be something that comes as a roll of the dice to Him. He will be firmly committed. He will be firmly supplied. He will be by a tree firmly planted in streams of water, which yields its fruit in due season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he what? He prospers. Obedience brings blessing. Now, I'm not doing the name it and claim it, blab it and grab it type of thing. What I am saying is God does not, has never, will never reward sin. But God does bless those who claim his righteousness. God does bless, not necessarily with financial prosperity, but with a peace of mind which passes all understanding. The closer we draw to His Word, the closer we live His Word out, the closer we draw to Him. So what are we being taught through the words of David? First, a love for God comes first. The greatest commandment Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all your might. Our love for our family comes out of the fact that we first have a love for God. And just like that old Sunday school teaching, before it all will fit into the fishbowl, you put the big thing in first. And in that case, the first thing that we need put in, the biggest thing in our lives, quite simply put, is our love and our commitment to the things of God. So the love of God comes first. Secondly, the love for family comes before the love of the self. Part of being humble is translates into not dwelling in pride, not worshiping the self. But instead, give for your family. Work for your family. Use your strength, use your wisdom, use your skill, use the things that God has invested in you, invest in them. Love your family before yourself, or as Paul puts it, with the same love that you have for your own self. Be strong in your obedience, take your stand. Understand why you believe what you believe. Do your due diligence as a, as a disciple of Christ. Understand the law of God. Understand the will of your Creator and pass that down because you cannot teach what you do not know. Be a disciple. Disciple your children. Be strong in your obedience. Know your place in the ministry because all of us have a place in the ministry. You are a peculiar people, a people who are unique within all the world. You are a royal priesthood. That's all of us. Every single one of us that have claimed Christ as Savior and as Lord have a ministry. It may be a ministry within the house. It may be a ministry within the workplace. It may be a ministry within the church. It should be all three. The question is, what are you gifted to accomplish? What are you equipped to do? And are you making the obedient step? Are you taking, rather, the obedient step 
to put what you've been invested with into action. Know your place in the ministry, take ownership of your place in the ministry, and stay strong in the face of temptation. I cannot tell you how many people that we have in the shadow of this church who are living in a broken home because the mother or the father simply could not live up to their own marital vows. Or the vows that they took as parents to protect, nurture, and care for their children. Kanawha County, West Virginia is among, I think it's the third most needed foster care county in the United States. Right here. St. Albans. What are we doing? And what are we doing about it? In your own home, start there. Practice your ministry and practice it well in your families. Stay strong in the face of all temptation. Acknowledge sin when it comes up. Because as doc, the late Dr. Stanley used to put it, we are indeed saints that sometimes sin. But just like David's example, the reason that he was a good king over Israel, because let's face it, David messed up. But unlike the people that came after him, David repented. David declared his sin before God and repented of that sin. What makes him unique among the kings and an example for the other kings after him to follow was the fact that he humbled himself before God. He accepted the divine punishment that was being offered to him. He learned from it. He repented and he moved on. The rest of them, for the most part, had too much pride to admit before God that they were a sinner. Acknowledge sin and repent. And teach others to... It's written right up here. Come on. Teach others to... Do likewise. Paul continues in Colossians chapter 3, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Don't let conflict, don't let jealousy, don't let the things of this world, but let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since you are members of one body, you were called to peace. Be thankful. Have you claimed that promise of God today? Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. How often do we tell God that we love Him? It's the reason that we sing. Is it so in harmony together as one group called out of the world of sin, called to become the family of God. We use music as praise because through its harmony, through the unique art that it is, we can all claim to love God. We can worship. We can praise Him. We can tell Him that we love Him all together as His family, as His children. Also, the basic textbook of the theology of the church happens to be your hymnal. If you sing it and you memorize it, you got it. That's why it's very important that we pick the right hymns. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether it's in the carpenter shop, whether it's in uh, the pipe fitting, I don't know what pipe fitters use to house themselves in, whether it's in the law clerk's office, whether it's in the library, whether it's in the classroom, whether it's in the electrician's office, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do the whole thing, do it all in the name of the Lord. 
Understanding that you bear his name and his example. For those of us that work outside the home, this is particularly powerful. This is how we provide for our children and our wives. Not by cheating and scheming, but whatever we're doing, if we're ministering to somebody, we see Christ in that person. If we're doing research for somebody, we see Christ in that person. If we're offering hospitality to somebody, we see Christ in that person. If we're doing contract work for somebody, we see Christ in that somebody, and we work with the same diligence, with the same motivation, with the same strength as we would if that person were himself indeed Christ. Do it all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we are men of humility if we're men of God. We also need to be men of service. Just as God, through Christ, delights in the making and keeping of promises to his children, if we put our own names on the line, we had better live up to that name. Again, recognize your giftedness, men, and put it to use. All of us have been invested with no fewer than one spiritual gift that make us unique within the body of Christ. What we have been invested in... We need to ourselves invest, just as the parable of the talents. It wasn't the people that took the risk that were punished. It was the person that took their talent and buried it and didn't do anything with it that was punished. What God has invested in you, with your knowledge, with your giftedness, with your work, with your strength, what God has invested with you, with your, with your, with your finances, with your time, with your talents, whatever God has invested in you, you need to invest. Do you tithe not only your money, but do you tithe your time? Do you tithe not only your finances, but do you also tithe your talent? Do you give of yourself to your family, to your family at church? Or do you bury it in the sand like that unfaithful servant did? Lead your family, by putting what you have been given into service, ministering to others, especially those who God has given you at home. Do everything as if you were serving Christ. That is scripture, that's the black and white of scripture. Demonstrate that same kind of love before others. In fact, demonstrate a Christ-like love before everybody that you meet. The second great commandment voiced by Christ is to love thy neighbor as Thyself, in simpler language, love the Lord your God with everything that you are. And number two, love everybody who is made in His image. Love everybody who is made in His image. And demonstrate that love. The quickest way to bring others to Christ is to let them know that you are in the name of Christ. And above all, especially when it comes to your children, teach them to do Likewise, we started the service with a dying father giving final instructions to his son. We will conclude similar. Only in this case, as I talked to you about earlier on in this Father's Day, it's not necessarily a father in the biological sense but in the ministry. 
Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. And his final instructions are, you, man of God, the things of the world, the temptation of the world, the philosophies of the world, the, the, the wants of the world, the desires of the world, flee from all this and pursue instead what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Man of God. Strength under control. Meekness as a virtue does not mean that you're weak or you're weak-willed. Quite the opposite. Meekness by definition is strength under control. That's where gentleness comes in. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life. Take hold of the badge of Christianity, the badge of the church. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Temper strength with discipline and reason. Treat others with dignity and respect as Christ did. Demonstrate love to those who are weak, who are hurting. But mark this down and write this down. This is where discipline comes in. This is the, what some people kind of jokingly call tough love. Because all too often we are being asked time and time again to offer assistance, to offer compassion, to offer love without consequence. In other words, we're not getting somebody out of their problem. We're actually reinforcing their problem. As many of you know, I deal a lot with hospital ministry. A lot of times in there we come across people who are in desperate need of assistance, social work, who are in desperate need of financial assistance, who might need a new home to stay in, who might need shelter, who might need the, uh, the additional care required outside of the hospital room before that person could live a normal life. Their home situation might be untenable. But the thing is that I found over, I've been doing this for 15 years now, is that a lot of people don't want, in fact, they'll reject an assistance that will lead to self-sufficiency. They will reject a help that leads to that person becoming independent of charity. And many times they will grow frustrated and even angry unless you give them cash, not assistance. The point of Christian charity is not for someone to become, uh, to remain an addict, to remain in a, in a sense of perpetual poverty. It is to give them what they need to get out of it, to end whatever cycle that they're in that is hampering them from being blessed by God, to end the patterns that may be leading to sin, to end the patterns that may be leading to destitution, to get them on a firm financial footing so that they never require that assistance again. That's the goal of Christian charity. And sometimes when you see that that charity becomes toxic, Sometimes when you see that there's something at play in a life that is causing that person 
to become dependent, sometimes you have to say no. Sometimes you have to find other solutions. Sometimes you have to have the compassion to say no under the understanding that giving them the kind of help that they want feeds into what is keeping them in chains. Men of God, it's the same in our own homes. Sometimes our children want the world and we simply cannot give it to them. Sometimes our children hunger and thirst after things that if they were exposed to them would cause them to end up in either spiritual destitution or temporal destitution. Sometimes we have to say no. And just as those that God loves, he chastises. Guess what we have to do for our children to make sure that they stay on the paths that will lead them to a right relationship with God, to a life that has abundance and meaning, and to that same hope, peace, joy, and love that we are promised in Scripture. Sometimes we have to say no. Sometimes we have to do the tough correction. Sometimes we have to fill our own eyes with tears as we do the chastising. But in all things, love has to reign in our hearts. Live out your faith. Endure all hardship with courage and with prayer because we will all enter hardship. We are promised that in Scripture. Encourage others who are in hardship. In the presence of the people of God, your joys are multiplied. Your sorrows are divided. Encourage others who are undergoing hardship and teach others to do likewise. Finally, the apostle concludes, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and with careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires, underline that in your copy of God's Word, they won't want the objective truth. They won't want even the difference between a human being. They will want what they want. They will want their own reality. They will want to define things for themselves. They will not want what is objective. They will want what is suiting for them. To suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside instead to myth. But you, men of God, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist, meaning as Peter wrote, to be always ready to give an account of the hope that is within you, but do so always with gentleness and respect. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. And I believe that he wholeheartedly expects that of all of us, not just the ordained, but those who are the priest in our home. And he ends by saying, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. For I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. This is what the dying apostle is saying to his son in the faith. 
Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me. This is a promise of God to all of you. Not only to me, but for all who have longed for his appearing. Be a man of faith. Hold on to the promises of God. Hold on to your understanding of why you believe what you believe. Hold on to good ethics. Hold on to good moral and sound reason. Never compromise what's right. Uphold the name of Christ. Because wherever you go, you go in the name of God. Do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. It has nothing to do with your vocabulary. It has everything to do with your ambassadorship. It has everything to do with the way that you live your life because you go in His name. And if you don't act the part, what do you do to His name? You make it meaningless. Uphold the name of Christ, your family name as the church. Practice self-control. Proclaim the love of God to all and exhibit that love before everyone. And as always, fathers especially, teach others to, to do likewise. All God's people said. Heavenly Father, help us to hold that strength of character. Help us to love unreservedly just as you have loved. And yet help us not through argument, not through disdain, not through anger, not through bitterness, not through persecution. Help us always to harbor in our hearts the truth of who you are and who we are in your kingdom. Thank you for the gift of everlasting life. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for being a God who has seen fit so that even though we were lost in the mire of sin, you nevertheless sent your only begotten Son to save us, to rescue us. If there are any within the sound of my voice that have yet to know that love, who have yet to come to you before it is everlastingly too late. For those in need of the rescue of their soul, as we transition now into the service of invitation, if there are any who have yet to know your love in its depths, Lord, may this be the day of their salvation. Help us to be dedicated to your purpose. Help us to let go of the old self. Help us to let go of the trappings of this world. Help us to let go of everything that would separate us from you. And truly to know you all the more. To be the people you've called us to be. The people you've created us and redeemed us to be at such an extreme cost. And we thank you for a Savior that was willing to pay that cost for us. And it's in his most holy name we pray. All God's people said. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us at High Lawn Baptist Church. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. At High Lawn, we believe that when you love God, you share his word. When you love others, you spread the gospel. We would love for you to join us next time, and if possible, to join us in person to contact or learn more about us, to donate to our ongoing ministry, or most importantly, to learn about the salvation offered to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, visit us at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Once again, thank you and God bless you.